Hello and welcome to the Bridge City Church podcast. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church or come along to our Sunday service at 10am. We'd love to have a coffee and a chat. We hope you enjoy this week's message. See you at church. So, things are happening here in Bridge City. Things are moving. We look out in the backyard there, we go one day and there's a one container gone, we come back the next week and there's another one there. There's paint being splashed around everywhere. It's exciting. Preparations are being made uh, at the moment to receive people onto this property that have never been onto a church property. They've never been anywhere near a community of faith. They've never experienced the hands and feet of Jesus serving and being a part of their life. So that's, I'm really excited by that prospect as I look out the window and see that happening. I guess it's exciting, but it's also pretty daunting because we're called to do that according to God's pattern, which means which we love him and we love the people that come. Love that even those people who are not yet connected, even those people who are um, different. We're all different. But out of that I get that real sense of anticipation. And this morning I want to talk about that, that, that word anticipation. Um, um, Chelsea touched on the fact that we're looking forward to the holidays and the fact that we're looking forward to, to Easter, to that break in our life. It's not just that in my heart at the moment. It's that for the last 18 months I've really had that sense of anticipation and transition and in my life and I really believe it is for Bridge City Church and for the church in, in the wider sense in this town. Um, anticipation can be challenging and it can also be very difficult as we do that. It can involve us going into places of discomfort when we're not, and I've talked about that plenty of times when I've been here before. I love to be comfortable. That's the place I like to be, but we're called not to be comfortable. We're called to make this church, this church family, a safe place, a place where we can come and be a refuge, but not necessarily a place of comfort for us. We're called to serve and to love the people that God brings to us. Anticipation. Back in the late 20th century, about 1970, Stanford University did a study of anticipation on a group of three to five-year-olds. They gave, placed in front of a three to one of these little kids, a marshmallow. A marshmallow. With the, with the promise that if they didn't eat the marshmallow for five minutes, they could have two marshmallows. And they were left to their own devices in the room with this marshmallow sitting on a plate in front of them. Now, I didn't uh, chase down some YouTube videos, but if you Google that and seek that out, you'll see some incredible pictures of these kids trying to resist the urge to consume that one marshmallow. And it's great the way that they did that. The the report um, recorded the fact that they used many different ways. Some kids chose to sing. They actually sang or they turned away from the the marshmallow. one little girl prayed. She prayed that she might not eat the marshmallow. Um, and the, the, one, the classic, which, which really resonated with me, is one little girl just rocked herself off to sleep and slept, slept the five minutes away and received her reward of the double portion. Anticipation. I've got a couple of slides of, this, of uh, capturing anticipation. The first one is... Oh, this is our two dogs. So that, the one on the right is Barb's dog, the one on the other side is my Kelpie, who's now become a suburban uh, liver, dweller, lives here in Murray Bridge with me, living the high life, enjoying it really much, very social. 
But that's uh, they were standing out, so we're outside of Barb's parents' home that day, waiting for us to come out there. So they were anticipating one of us to come out the door. Obviously, Barb's dog was waiting for her, and my dog was waiting for me. Next one, thanks. Ah, the anticipation of the arrival of the babe. We have a little bit of a glimpse of that, don't we? We understand that anticipation when we are looking forward to that exciting news, and we're looking forward to that in our house right now. But there's, a, there's we know there's nine months, give or take, that we count down to that point. That anticipation of that wonder. And the last slide is this one: the anticipation of the gift of Christmas, of looking into those presents and seeing what's there. And we, I guess we understand that, it, that, that, that anticipation of the birth of Christ is really, is really strong in our culture. And we, we reflect that in, in giving gifts. And that's a picture of that where we're giving gifts to people, that sense of a gift to all mankind. But yet the Easter story contains that same sense, in my heart, that same sense of anticipation for us of people of faith, for all mankind. So I just want to spend some time this morning and just reflect on that sense of anticipation as we come into Palm Sunday and we understand that today is recognised as Palm Sunday, that, that the, the uh, triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is much anticipated arrival. I want to read you the scripture, the, that, that little excerpt of scripture out of Matthew. So Matthew's, I really enjoy Matthew's gospel because it shares the picture of Jesus the King to us, the picture of the, and he really captures the, that, that sense of anticipation as Jesus comes into, into um, that season of the cross. So let's read that through. This is reading out of the Passion Translation, I believe. Now as they were approaching Jerusalem, they arrived at the place of the stables near the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead saying, As soon as you enter the village, you will find a donkey tethered along with her young colt. Untie them both and bring them to me. And if anyone stops you and asks, what are you doing, just tell them. The Lord needs all, Lord of all needs them. He will let you take them. All of this happened to fulfil the prophecy. Tell Zion's daughter, look, your king arrives. He's coming to you humbly, sitting on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So the two disciples went on ahead and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and her colt to him and placed their cloaks and prayer shawls on the colt, and Jesus rode it. Then an exceptionally large crowd gathered and carpeted the road before him with their cloaks and their prayer shawls. Others cut down branches from trees to spread in his path. Jesus rode in the centre of the procession, crowds going before him and crowds coming behind him, and they all shouted, Bring glory to bring the victory, Lord, son of David. He is the blessed one, sent from the Lord Yahweh. We are we celebrate with praises to God in the highest. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, the people went wild with excitement. The entire city was thrown into an uproar. Someone asked, who is this man? And the crowd shouted back, this is Jesus. He's the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That's anticipation. That's, yeah, that's excitement. I really want to just spend some time this morning reflecting on some of the key players, some of the key uh, characters in that, that, that moment of anticipation as we come into Palm Sunday, that triumphal entry, and what that meant for some of those guys and what I see, where I see Jesus in, that, in, that, in those stories. We look at the Pharisees at that point. Pharisees and religious leaders, a group of religious leaders that have been so frustrated by Jesus' ministry. 
<laughs> they were infuriated by what he did. They were left speechless at the end. They just couldn't find a way to, to answer the questions that he plays, posed to them. They were really looking to restore the status quo. And they saw the opportunity in, in really eliminating Jesus from the picture, that they could restore the status quo. They could go back to the way that things were. Sometimes we just like to think we're going to go back and be in that, again, comfortable space where, the, where things are just the way we remember them. A removal of an uncomfortable truth, an uncomfortable truth in the death of Jesus. Because I can imagine these guys would be box tickers. Like they, 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 they'd like to tick the boxes. And if they'd gone through, and they'd gone through, and they'd tick the boxes about the signs of the Messiah. They'd gone through the Messianic miracles, and Jesus had presented, presented them to, to them one by one. And they were infuriated by that. What were they? The healing of a Jewish leper. It's not leper. It's never recorded in the Torah of anyone being healed by, uh, from leprosy. Well, Naaman the Syrian was, was healed, but he was a Gentile. What did Jesus do? He healed 10 lepers just to rub it in. 10 lepers and sent them back to the priest to show that he was the Messiah. Deliverance of a mute blind man, a man who was possessed, captured in Matthew 12. Again, the practicality that said that a person who had a demon cast out of them must be able, you must be able to communicate with that demon, speak to that demon and call them out. You cannot communicate with a deaf, blind, a deaf, mute, blind person. Only the Messiah can call out the spirit of a deaf, of a deaf blind, a mute, blind person. Jesus did that. The Messiah did that. Healing of a man born blind. This is my favourite one. And that's recorded in John 9. So again, the Jewish leaders readily accepted the fact that a person could be healed from blindness. They, they accepted that quite happily. But a person born blind, now that's a different story. That was a person, someone must have sinned to get to that, to that, to that place to have that person born blind. The scripture that says that when they asked, the disciples asked who sinned and Jesus replied, it was done for my glory. And that was, that was where Jesus was about to reveal his true calling as the Messiah. So what did Jesus do in that story out of um, John 9? What did he take? He took some dirt and some spit and rubbed it together and put a poultice on the eyes. The, the romantic and the, the, the great of a pictures person, the picture there of the dust and the water coming together and the creator establishing a new set of eyes in that man's head. The creator at work re-establishing through dust and spirit together. Just as he did in the beginning when he first created Adam. Dust and spirit together. And it drove them crazy. <laughs> it just drove them crazy that, that Jesus was doing these things and ticking these boxes. They had the boxes tick. He was ticking the boxes. And then the cream on the cake, the raising of Lazarus, a man long dead, a man long dead, dead for over three days, and his, that his death had corrupted his body, corrupted, corrupted his mortal body. There was no way back for Lazarus in, terms, in, the, in the natural. He was beyond redemption. He was beyond resurrection. And yet, 
He was restored. He was restored in full by the one and only, the Messiah, the only one who could do that. We remember the words of Jesus. Remember when John the Baptist sent the message in prison to Jesus to say, are you the one? Are you the one? He sends back this message. He writes this. He says this. Now go back and tell John what you have just seen and heard here today. The blind are now seeing. The crippled are now walking. Those who were lepers are now cured. Those who are deaf are now hearing. Those who were dead are now brought back to life. The poor and the broken are given the hope of salvation. He was pointing to the messianic miracles, the signpost of Jesus in his time on earth. Can I encourage you this morning that if we know that the Messiah lives, if we understand that to be the case, then we can never be satisfied with the old road. We can never be satisfied with the status quo. There is no way back. There's no sweet shrinking back to the mediocre, to the, to the comfortable. We can never begin to lean on our own skill set, our own set of abilities. We need to lean in to the Messiah, to that life-giving spirit which can transform things, that can actually breathe life into things that are long dead, things that we think are beyond redemption. He can breathe life back into that situation. The disciples... Imagine that. In Matthew 20, Jesus gave it to them straight. This is the third time he told the disciples what his path was going to be. He said, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will be handing him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. What were they, this is, this is more, I've got more questions about this than answers. What, 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 were they, what was their anticipation? Well, how were they feeling at that, at that point? What was, what was their feeling? Surely this can't be. Surely this can't be the path. But there is no plan B. We understand as people of faith there was never, no, there was never a plan B. The plan was set before the dawn of time. The, 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 the way of the cross for Jesus was always there, was always... In, the, in that situation. The anticipation of the perfect lamb sacrificed that we might have a way to deal with the sin and decay in our own lives and in the world that surrounds us. The people in the crowd. In that time, God's people were no strangers to systematic oppression and occupation. That was the history. That was the journey that they were on. And they were faced at that point with the ultimate empire, the Romans. The Romans were a machine. They they were relentless and merciless in their desire to take over the world, to to, to have dominion in that place. And God's people were anticipating a saviour, a deliverer, someone who would release them from that oppressor, the evil empire that enslaved and restricted their lives. but it was a different empire that Jesus was fighting for. But we do need to remember that the crowd is the crowd. And some of the same people who welcomed Jesus on that Palm Sunday were going to be in the crowd that were going to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. The crowd is the crowd. And the crowd can turn. But the important thing is the crowd had held no sway over Jesus' plan. He had no sway over Jesus. He ignored that. He was not not impacted by that at all 
But the crowd did get their victory over oppression. That is the great news of the cross. The crowd did get that victory over the enemy powers and principalities. Ephesians 6.12 says, We are not fighting against humans. We are fighting against forces and authorities and against rulers of darkness and powers in the spiritual world. That's a great scripture. That's the contemporary English translation. We are not fighting against humans. We are fighting against forces and authorities and against rulers of darkness and powers in the spiritual world. Now, I know that's not new news to all of you, you guys. You understand that's the case. But it can slip out of the forefront of our mind as we do the journey, as we, as we rub up against people, as we engage in, in, in life and interact with people. Yeah. So the atmospheres change. As the way of the cross became apparent, I really believe that the spiritual atmosphere would have shifted. And we understand that the spiritual, that, that is the place where the real battle goes on. We just we read that scripture. That's where the real battle goes on in our lives. And the enemy and those spiritual forces and powers probably had an anticipation of victory over Jesus, so victory over Christ in the, of Jesus, of God in the flesh. Unaware again that our God knows the end from the beginning. We can be comforted in that. He knows the end from the beginning. Unaware that the plan was always the plan. That the redemption of mankind relied on a price being paid. We talked about Kathy shared so beautifully around community that price paid for us. So this is the empire that, that Jesus came to defeat. This is the empire that stole life and connection to mankind. We anticipate the victory won through Jesus when we see the things of the Spirit revealed in the physical. If we go to the, the account of the story of the crucifixion, um, Adam, again, Matthew captures this so beautifully. It see, we see the picture of that, uh, how the things of the Spirit are influenced the natural and physical world. In, chapter, in verse 45 of chapter 27, it says, From noon until three, as Jesus hung on the cross in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. The land was enshrouded in darkness, a physical manifestation of the evil spiritual forces at work. And then at the moment of Jesus' death, in Matthew 27, 51 to 53, it says, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. What, what a picture that is. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into this holy city and appeared so many people. That scripture always blows me away when I read that. That, that people would, um, that resurrected power that, that spilled out into the people that surrounded Jesus. And that, what a physical picture of what had happened in the spirit at that point. The people were beyond redemption, had been restored. Places where people that were long dead spiritually could be restored through Jesus. The barrier separating God and man, the curtain torn apart, the restoration of death from death for many. Again, as I said, the people long dead. With life breathed back into them. And I really get the sense at the moment that we need to lean into that picture of restoration and begin to speak into those situations that we understand, we see in our own lives, we see people around us, we see situations. And I know if I asked you to take a moment, think there's situations where we, we think, it's, think this situation is beyond redemption, that, that this person, this situation is beyond, beyond saving. And I encourage you to take, transpose what we've been hearing today about the, Jesus being able to breathe life into things long dead, 
Take that and transpose some of those situations that you reflect on this morning. Take, speak that into that situation. Begin to speak that transformation revealed spirit, soul and body in every aspect. Speak that restoration into every aspect, spirit, soul and body. And Jesus... And I know I've shared this, but I love the fact that Jesus was never in a hurry. He was never in a hurry. He brings the gift of time to people. And especially with those who other people were hesitant to make that investment, some people weren't prepared to put that time into the vulnerable and the weak. For those people who in the realm deemed unworthy, he was prepared to stop and invest the time in them. The fringe dwellers, the sick, the poor... The unpopular, those who weren't trending on social media. He was happy to go and spend time with those people. Those people who didn't have any influence or power that we can leverage off. What does he do? He crosses over most of a nation to minister to a single woman at Jacob's well. He stops to minister again to a woman with the issue of blood. Someone who was at the end of a rope, physically, again, in every aspect of life, at the end of a rope. Unclean. He stops and does that. He stops and stays in the house of Zacchaeus, the most despised man in town. Remember this, the account when he comes to raise Lazarus. He waits for a few days before, before going to tend to his dear friend Lazarus. He spent a further two days. Scripture says he spent a further two days where he was. No sense of urgency. I simply do what my father asked me to do. He gives each person his full attention at that point. He gives us his full attention when we ask. No hurry, no looking at the watch, no trying to think about what the next thing's going to, what the next appointment is. He's there fully engaged, fully with us, fully present. Again, I only see, do what I see my father doing. Can I encourage that this is our pattern for our interaction with people outside the household of faith? We, we, that's if we want to share Jesus into the people that we walk along and see in the community that surround us, so one of the real gifts that we can give to people is our time and our full attention. Our time and our full attention. But yes, if we turn to Luke's gospel, he records Jesus' determined, determined determination. What teeth begging? Determination to stay the course to complete what God had set for him to accomplish. And the scripture says in Luke 9 51 of the Passion Translation Jesus let nothing distract him from departing for Jerusalem because the time for him to be lifted up drew near. He was full of passion to complete his mission there. Uh, Young's literal translation said, and he fixed his face to go to Jerusalem. He was single-minded. The task set in the book of Isaiah hundreds of years prior and the message of the Bible records these incredible words. They're just so powerful. It says, I followed orders, stood there and took it while they beat me, held steady while they pulled out my beard. Don't dodge, didn't dodge their insults, faced them as they spit in my face and the Master God stays right there and helps me. I'm not disgraced, therefore I set my face like flint Confident that I'll never regret this. That's the picture of Jesus. 
the anticipation of the redemption of mankind, the re-establishment of broken relationships, the removal of the barrier of sin and guilt was Jesus' motivation. The writer of Hebrews records that statement. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run the race with endurance that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's a beautiful scripture. Sat down, it is finished. It's dealt with, it's done. But for the joy set before him, that's the, the, the focus in that scripture I want to talk about. For the joy set before him. And that joy was the full knowledge that you would be saved, that you would have full connection with him, that you would have a full inheritance as a son and daughter of the Most High God, that you would understand the life of abundance that he has for each and every one of us. So my question for you this morning is pretty simple. What are you anticipating this Easter? What are you anticipating this Easter? Put aside the four days off and the holidays. What are you anticipating? Are you anticipating the God of all creation will invade your lives and take us from that place of mediocrity to that place of abundance? Are we expecting that? Where the Spirit of God impacts and actually shows himself physically in our lives, not just, not just a, a, in a spiritual sense, but actually that, that, that spiritual impact manifests itself in what we do and how we live our lives. Can I take this time? Again, the other thing to do is to take the chance to read the account of the crucifixion as recorded in Matthew's Gospel. It will give you a great picture of the, of the kingship of Jesus, of his authority and the way that he's prepared to, to do that, to be that. Um, see that transformation from the, the transition from the spiritual to the physical. To understand that the spiritual victory that one is won for us in, on the cross spills out into our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, into our physical lives as well. Can I encourage you again to take the chance to speak life into those things that you thought were long dead, those things that were beyond, that were corrupted beyond redemption. Speak life, those things are long dead. You'll change things. You'll change things. Let me pray for you as we finish. <coughs> Father God, I just come so thankful that you make a way for us when there was no way, that you released us into a place of transformation and abundance, not just self-improvement, Father, but you take us and you transform us completely. Father, out of that transformation, I pray that we might see that flow, that spiritual transformation, that renewal of our spirit, man, that we would see that flow out into our, into our soul, into our body, Father. We see um, things happen. Father, I pray that you would just begin to have, see things happen in our lives which are beyond explanation. I pray resurrection and restoration into the things that we, we think about that are, are long since dead, that are long since long past redemption, Father. I pray that we might speak that into those situations. We speak life and truth, truth revealed in your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure you subscribe to stay up to date with all our latest sermons. If you would like to get connected, you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Church. Or come along to our Sunday service at 10am. 